Well, good morning, Gresham Bible Church. Today, as Amy indicated earlier, as our service leader, we're going to continue our series through our church's distinctives. And by distinctives, we mean the values that shape the attitudes and actions of our community as Gresham Bible Church in order to keep us on mission. I'm really excited about this series. Look forward to what the Lord's gonna teach us and strengthen us in as we go throughout it. By way of reminder, last week, Todd was our leadoff hitter. He started us off with our first distinctive and that scripture is central to all we do. So this week, we're gonna consider and reflect on our second distinctive and that is prayer is indispensable. What does indispensable mean, you might ask? I'm glad you asked. The Google machine says that it means it's absolutely necessary. So when we say prayer is indispensable, we mean prayer is absolutely, positively necessary in our lives as individual Christians and in the life of us together corporately as a local church. So I have a question for you. When you hear me say prayer is indispensable, Like what just starts firing off in your mind? I wonder if any of you had the same thought I did this last week. When you hear me say prayer is indispensable, do you hear a certain song as background music? The song that the modern philosopher and rapper MC Hammer released in 1990, (laughs) prayer, right? And what did Hammer say? You got to pray just to make it today, didn't he? Well, today we're going to see that Hammer was not wrong. But prayer is a lot more than just us praying just to make it today. So again, maybe you're familiar with this, maybe you're not, but what do we mean when we say prayer is indispensable? This is in our distinctives, it's on our website if you haven't checked it out. There should be a slide. We mean this. We are a church that prays because we depend on God. Prayer is our shameless shameless admission that we can do nothing without Him. Therefore, prayer is not merely a transition point in our lives and activities, nor is it the cherry on top. Prayer is the beginning, middle, and end of our work. If we desire for God to work in ways that cannot be merely attributed to our efforts, then we must be a people on our knees. So specifically today, we're going to zero in on this, and we're going to do it by looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, which is going to prove for us just really how indispensable prayer is. So please have a Bible in front of you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and follow along with me now as I'm going to read out loud for us verses 16 through 20 in chapter 6 so we get the context of our focus of verse 18. Ephesians 6, 16 through 20, this is God's word. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So before we enjoy a sermon together about prayer, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Please bow your heads and agree with me in prayer. Father, we need you today. Through your word and by your spirit, please comfort those of us this morning who are afflicted and graciously comfort those of us who are comfortable in ourselves without you. Strengthen us today in your gospel and direct our hearts to you. Father, I need your help now. May I declare your word boldly and clearly. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's where we're going today. We're going to look at the characteristics of prayer in Ephesians 6, and then we're going to consider the foundation for prayer, and then we're just going to ask briefly, what does this all mean for us as a church if this is one of our distinctives? So first, what are the characteristics of prayer? 
the reality and importance of prayer, it's all through the Bible, right? Maybe some of you are doing a Bible read-through plan this year. You can't miss it. Did you know that the first time prayer is mentioned is all the way back, almost at the beginning of the story, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, when it says, people begin to call on the name of the Lord and then carry it all the way to the end of our Bibles. When is the last time that you see prayer in Scripture? It's right at the end. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, where we see the prayer of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He prays, amen, come Lord Jesus. We cannot escape prayer. And the context here in Ephesians chapter 6 only is going to prove to us just how indispensable prayer really is. So some of you already know this, but want to ground us in the context. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Ephesians from prison, right? And so he's praying, he's asking them to be praying for him, encouraging these believers to pray, And then the context for our verse in verse 18, it's in the context of a battle, a really unusual kind of battle, a battle that's not just against flesh and blood. It's not a battle against other human beings. It's a spiritual kind of battle. Just look up real quick at the page in front of you. Go back up to verse 12 in chapter 6. Notice what it says, chapter 12 or verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then it builds up to verse 18. And what do we see between verse 12 and 18? We know this. Probably some of you kids maybe have gone to a VBS this year about this. Don't we see the spiritual armor, right? The Christian is to put on the helmet of salvation, take up the shield of faith, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So once this warrior has all his or her armor on, what are they supposed to do next? There hasn't been a command between verse 12 and verse 18 in Ephesians 6. What's this warrior supposed to do? How are they supposed to fight? You're girded up for battle. What are you supposed to do? Right? This warrior's all suited up, and then we're waiting for our battle charges, right? And we start to see that in verse 18, and that's our focus today. In verse 18, we see what we're supposed to do, and that's we're supposed to be praying. So the whole point of the spiritual armor is to prepare you, Christian, to enter into the battle to be involved, to be praying. Verse 18, you can't miss it. Put your finger on the text. It starts with the word praying. Like grammatically and logically here, if you take time to study it in Ephesians 6, in the flow of the argument, this praying is an imperative. It's a command. It like encompasses and is over all this other stuff you're supposed to take on and put on and stand in, and then you're supposed to be praying. Those are the Christian's marching orders. The command is to be praying. So in the flow of Ephesians 6, what does that all mean? I don't want us to miss the context. For some of you, this can be really familiar, and so you can kind of start to like zone out, but lean in with me to Ephesians 6 and think about the implications for praying. This means that prayer is the battlefield. Prayer is the fight. You are to put on armor for a reason. It's to be praying, we see in verse 18. The armor is for the battle of prayer. The warrior is suited up for going into prayer. The armor is meant to protect you and equip you for praying. How many times growing up when you memorize these verses did that just like go over your head? It did mine. I thought I was supposed to prepare this other spiritual fight and I just like assume the praying part, but we're not to assume it. That's right in verse 18 here. The Scottish evangelist and teacher Oswald Chambers reflected on this dynamic and he said this, too often we treat prayer as the preparation for the work of the church. Do you not see? Prayer is the work of the church. So maybe for many of us, if we're being honest, like I'm saying, prayer's indispensable. 
Is that true in your life? Is prayer really, truly indispensable in your life? And I bet if it's not, the reason why is because you see prayer as optional. You don't see it as flowing out from verse 12 all the way to verse 18 in Ephesians 6. Maybe for you, I find myself in this headspace and heart space often. I feel like, or my presupposition is that prayer is like what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to eat vegetables and I'm supposed to exercise and I'm supposed to lift another rep to be healthy. But then that's preparing me for something. Yes, prayer prepares us, but prayer is the battle. Do you you feel like the weight of this in Ephesians 6? Prayer isn't only preparation for our work. Prayer is our real work. That's the point of this here in Ephesians 6. So in other words, prayer is indispensable. So in verse 18, we're going to consider together five different realities that show prayer is absolutely necessary. I want to prove my point, have it manifestly, organically come out of Scripture. GBC didn't make up that distinctive to sound good or to build our brand as a church. It's biblical. Prayer is indispensable. So look at verse 18. What's it say? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So the first reality we see is that we're to pray at all times. And the language here is really emphatic. It can also mean be praying in every circumstance. So remember, where's Paul writing this from? From prison. So yes, pray when you're in prison, when you're suffering in your trial, and pray at all times. Pray when things are going really good in your life. Pray everywhere at all times, good times and bad times and everywhere in between. And what does that look like, right? Think about that in your life. Okay, Mike, you can like nod your head like in a Christianese kind of way. Like, yeah, I'm supposed to be praying at all times. Well, what does that actually look like in your life? Like maybe look back over this last week or these last few weeks. Is there, I want you to just consider this, like is there a certain part of your life that you're not praying about? So if you're to pray at all times, it means you're supposed to pray about everything, but is there a gap? Is there a blind spot in your heart that you're not praying about? Maybe it's a certain person. Maybe it's a certain situation. And why are you not praying about it? And I would just ask you to consider the weight of these verses and to be praying for the person you find yourself not praying for. Maybe the really difficult person. Be praying for that situation that to you feels impossible or it just is what it is, not, it, not if you look at it from God's point of view. So if we're to be praying at all times, we're to be praying about everything, including the really tough stuff, including the stuff that feels impossible. And as we do that, God in his kindness uses prayer to change us and to shape us and to form us. And you'll be amazed that as you lean into that kind of praying, you're going to start to experience a deep kind of freedom that's life-giving. And you kind of start to take the grip off of your life and you leave it with God. So we're blessed and made more and more to the image of Christ as we pray at all times. Prayer moves us towards people, doesn't it? And it takes the roots of our life deeper and deeper into the gospel as we start to see things from God perspective and actually enjoy that, okay? Praying reorients our hearts from our little kingdom to God's great big kingdom, from the small dot of each of our life to the eternal horizon of heaven. So praying at all times reorients our lives. I want to challenge you with something that I've been challenged by with this. Maybe for you, when you hear praying at all times, like you've just developed like this slick ninja move to get out of that. Oh yeah, I have the mindset of prayer all the time. That's what praying at all times means for me. I've totally said that. I've thought that, okay? Do you know what C.S. Lewis says about that? He calls it out as a lie. In his book, Screwtape Letters, some of you know this book, right? There's this senior demon writing to like his protege demon on how to do spiritual warfare against this guy, 
to prevent him from believing in God. And the senior demon says, right, we just have to get this guy in a prayerful state of mind because we can't actually have him praying, right? Isn't that us sometimes? We think I'm supposed to be praying at all times. I'm just in a prayerful state of mind, attitude of gratitude at all times. That's not what God's word is saying. You have to, you need to for your soul's sake and for other people in your life, actually be praying. Like specific petitionary prayers coming to God for specific requests, not just a prayerful state of mind. Because if it's only a prayerful state of mind, you're actually not praying at all times in the spirit, are you? Like it sounds really spiritual, but in love, I would challenge you to press into that and see it's actually not helpful at all. So let me encourage us as a church to be intentional about actually praying. Like make it a priority in your life. Let's have it be a priority in the life of our church. And just to show you I'm not making that up, just look real quick at the Bible down in front of you. What comes after verse 18? Paul requests petitionary prayers for specific things, doesn't he? He just didn't have a prayerful state of mind in prison. He's asking them, pray that I'll boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel because I'm an ambassador in chains. So we should pray like that, specific prayers. All right, next characteristic. We're just kind of going to enjoy this as like a food buffet of verse 18. So the second characteristic we see in verse 18 is that we're to pray in the spirit. A lot could be said about this. I'd love to hang out together over a cup of coffee and work through this more. But what does it mean to be praying in the spirit? Two things. For one, it means to be praying with God, working with God, because it's his spirit working in and through us. So in a way, our prayers are an outworking of the Holy Spirit working in us, right? So to be praying in the Spirit means to be praying, working with God. And just think about the implications of that for our prayer. That means our prayers are Trinitarian, aren't they? We pray to the Father in Jesus' name through the Spirit. The full Godhead should be involved in our prayers. And then second, to pray in the Spirit means we're praying in the spiritual realm. Remember verse 12 set the scene and the context for verse 18 here. We're praying in the midst of a real spiritual battle. So the idea here is we're to be praying spiritually. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I heard this example. I think it's a really helpful illustration. I want to share it with you. It's kind of like... Have you ever seen maybe just one person or a group of people put on like a virtual reality headset and then you just kind of laugh as like they're interacting with this virtual world and you're in the real, real world. You want to know what they're seeing? It's really funny. Anybody ever seen that? Just me? All right, that's cool. Uh, prayer is like the opposite of that, right? When you start to pray, you actually put on the goggles of real reality, of the spiritual realm, and you enter into that reality, right? So real reality is physical. God made us as physical beings, right? And real reality is spiritual. And when we pray, we enter into that. It's like anti-VR lenses we put on when we pray, and we begin to see things as they really are. So third, verse 18 has so much here, but third we see that we're to keep alert in prayer. Okay, what does that mean, to be alert in prayer? It means we're to be engaged and focused in praying. And why is that? Let's just let God's word speak. What's the context here again in Ephesians 6? It's a spiritual battle kind of way, right? So we better be on alert. We better be praying with alertness because we are in a spiritual battle. So we're to pray like it. John Piper said this, probably the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. 
Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. Would you say that is true of your prayer life? It's not true of mine enough. Am I alert in prayer like that? I'm on the battlefield. I have to be praying like this for my own soul's sake, for other believers, for our church. We need each other, okay? It's not optional kind of way. It's not like aspirational. It's the floor. We have to be alert in prayer because we're in a battle. Okay, why are we to be on alert in our prayer life? Because we're in a battle and also because, let's just like be totally honest with each other. Because you never know when God's gonna call you home, right? Could be later this week. Could be 20 years from now. I don't know. So be alert in prayer. We also don't know when Jesus is going to return. We know he's coming back. We have his word on it, but we don't know when, so we're to be alert in prayer. Christians are not to be like going through the motions in prayer. Yes, God is king. Praise the Lord for that. He always keeps his promises, but that doesn't make us lazy. (laughs) It shouldn't. That should like stir in us like deep affection and commitment to be committed to prayer in this kind of way we see here in Ephesians chapter six. The posture of our praying is to be one of alertness. So think about it like this, like just kind of like focus that on your life. How do you think your life might go different if you were praying with alertness? Like, just think about that. What would your life be like? How would it be different? Because if you're not praying, that means you're not alert. And honestly, it means you're being numbed by your circumstances and by the unbelief in your own heart. Maybe you're being numbed by the fleeting pleasures of this life and maybe even like short-term worries and real afflictions. But God's word like doesn't give a footnote there on the alertness. It doesn't say, except in these circumstances. If anyone had a right to like have an escape clause here, it's the guy writing it as he's writing from prison. But he says, be alert, be praying at all times. So I want you to like carry this with you into this week. How could your life be different? Like if you leaned into this, if you were praying at all times with alertness. The fourth thing we see, see, we're to be praying with all perseverance, never giving up, being committed to continuing praying is the idea here. It's not a New Year's resolution. It doesn't have an expiration date on it. You are to be committed to be praying, to persevere in it, to continue in it. I just want to like take a deep breath. There's a lot here. Maybe you even hearing that, okay, I'm to continue in prayer at all times, to be alert in it with all perseverance. Maybe that presses into your heart and like what bubbles up is a question, maybe even a doubt for you, maybe even a little bit of a misconception. And this sermon, it's felt heavy to me this week. Like I'm gonna preach a sermon about prayer. I cannot address that exhaustively in a sermon, but we're leaning into Ephesians 6.18. But I do wanna address one potential maybe area of questioning in your heart that you've wrestled with about prayer. And I think it's important to lean into this because yes, prayer is simple and also prayer is really mysterious, isn't it? Haven't we already seen that in some kind of way? So we have a lot of questions about prayer. If we're to persevere in it, we have to address those questions. Here's one question I've wrestled with, and I really wrestled with it at a particular point in my life. And maybe this is true for you too. If God is sovereign, why should I pray? Doesn't he already know all things? Isn't he already accomplishing all things according to the counsel of his will? Then why does he need me to pray? Have you ever like wrestled with that question? intellectually, maybe even emotionally. And there's so much to it. And if you haven't wrestled with it, this is your uh, me giving you permission and encouragement to wrestle with it, right? Maybe you've wrestled with that before. 
And if you're struggling to pray because that's like a question or misconception that's buried deep in your heart, right? How can prayer be real if God is sovereign? I want to encourage you when you're wrestling to press into God's word. Like we saw last week, scripture is central to all we do. Wrestle, struggle in that towards God and see what the Bible has to say about it. And bottom line, you're going to see one key truth that's going to help you address the question for you. Uh, How can prayer be real if God is sovereign? And that reality is this, that God is sovereign over the means and the ends. And our prayers are foreordained as a means by which he brings about his sovereign will to pass. God is in control of the ends as well as the means. The ends that he is the sovereign one. The means are the prayers of God's people. What an amazing God. What a mystery prayer is. And I know that's a lot to digest for me to say that, but I want to show you just in one place in Scripture where this is kind of like on the surface. If you look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul is saying he will rejoice because, and listen to what Paul says he rejoices, because, Philippians 1, 19, because I, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Through God's people's prayers, he's going to be delivered. God is sovereign over the ends as well as the means. The means of Paul's deliverance was through prayer and the help of the Spirit. So we're to persevere in prayer because God works and accomplishes his purposes through the prayers of his people. If you think prayer is simple, you're right. But it is so much more than that. It's amazing and beautiful and glorious because our God is amazing and beautiful and glorious. So through prayer, we're involved in God's work, aren't we? And that should cause us to worship and to be amazed at just how great our God is. In a book entitled God's Greater Glory, author Bruce Ware writes this. Just listen to this. Prayer functions as a tool designed by God to enlist our participation in his work as we are led by the Spirit to have our minds and wills reshaped to the mind and will of God. So we pray specific petitionary prayers with a posture of trusting in, and I'd say delighting in God's sovereignty. And then with open hands, we pray like Jesus on his way to the cross, not my will, but yours be done. And we trust God in praying like this, in persevering through prayer. All right, fifth and finally in verse 18, we see that we're to pray for all the saints. That means we're to pray for all the church. This shows that prayer is individual and corporate. Yes, like our call to worship passage, we're to pray individual, honest, heartfelt prayers as we pour out our hearts and our unbelief and our doubts and our fears to God. And we're to pray for one another, for all the saints, the saints you know by name in the life of this church, for the saints in other churches in our area, for the saints around the world, especially those who are persecuted for worshiping Jesus. We are to pray for all the saints. That's what our prayers should sound like, okay? That's what should should involve our prayer life. So practically, that informs and shapes how and why we pray at GBC. When the service leader comes up and prays for us each week and prays for other churches by name in our area that God's providentially placed us here and prays for other Christians and other churches around the globe, especially other churches that maybe don't look like us, that aren't just like us, but we pray for them. We're to pray for all the saints, not just your favorite brand of Christians. You're to pray for all the saints. That's right in God's word. Tell me another way to apply that or understand that. We're to pray for all the saints. And then practically again, I'm going to bring this up a little more here in a minute. Okay, what does this look like in my life? How do we live into this distinctive in the life of our church? 
The member directory for you members at GBC, that's a prayer guide. (laughs) You look through that, I'd really encourage you, whenever you spend time with the Lord in your devotions, morning, evening, whatever, time of day isn't more holy than the other, spend time with the Lord. Have the member directory in your Bible, open it up to a certain page or letter of the alphabet and pray through it. Pray for the members of this church by name and you'll be amazed at what God does in your heart as you grow an affection towards the members here in the life of this church. So pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints of GBC, not just in a like, I'm in a mindful state of prayer all the time, specifically, by name. Ask one another, how can I be praying for you this week? And I love that our church is already about this. And I would encourage us to excel still more in this. So what have we seen in verse 18? In just one short verse, verse 18 short, in just one verse, haven't we seen that prayer really is indispensable, that it's absolutely necessary? And so that leads us to what is the foundation for prayer? So maybe even just now, as we've been reflecting on verse 18, like maybe you're keenly aware of the gap between what I've been talking about and how you actually live your life. Man, Mike, if I'm being really honest, prayer is not indispensable in my life. So what do we do with that gap, with the need to grow in our prayer life? Because all of us have that need in some kind of way. How do we move forward? How do we grow? And I want to encourage us now. This sermon is not intended to heap guilt and condemnation on you. You're like, yeah, Mike, I already know I'm not good in my prayer life. Thanks for highlighting that. So what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Like what we sang a few minutes ago is how we approach it. We look to the only one who ever truly prayed at all times in the spirit and who kept alert with all perseverance, praying for all the saints. We look to the foundation for our prayer and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Because anything Jesus calls us to do He's already perfectly accomplished. Think about, he always prays for the saints. Think of how he endured and persevered on his way to the cross and on the cross, right? He's already perfectly accomplished what he calls us to do. So Jesus is the foundation for prayer in at least two ways, and I don't want you to miss this or assume this. First, Jesus directed his disciples to pray to God as as their father, didn't he? And what we prayed corporately, the Lord's Prayer. And through the cross, we can pray to God in the same way as our Father. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it's talking about Jesus and says this, For through him, through Jesus, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So through Jesus, we have access to the Father. So Jesus is the foundation for our prayer. Or in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says that through Jesus, we have access to the Father, and it doesn't stop there. It says, we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Just just listen. This is God's word for us. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So how can we approach the holy God of the universe in prayer? And not just approach him, but approach him with a confidence that he will hear us. The reason why we do that is because we don't come in our own merits, do we? In our own good works, in our own righteousness. We come on the merits of another. We come clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then this can be true for us as Christians. And I just want you to think about this. This just struck me this week. How did Jesus purchase prayer for us like this? 
that we can actually call the sovereign God, creator God of the universe, Father, and we can approach him with confidence. How did that happen? And it's highlighted through Jesus' unanswered prayer, isn't it? Jesus prayed on the cross, and what did he pray? Right before he died, what did he pray? Father, why have you forsaken me? Do we see in Scripture that prayer answered in the moment? We don't. Jesus took on sin in our place to give us his life. So he purchases us, us the access we can call God our Father and approach him with humble, worshipful confidence because his prayer was unanswered on the cross. The foundation for our prayers is Jesus' prayer and his person and work. That's amazing. That's amazing. So maybe like in your life, you find it hard to pray. I want to address one other misconception. Maybe you find it hard to pray, and I'm just going to be like really honest, maybe because you've prayed for something and it hasn't been answered. And when I say that, I don't say it lightly. Maybe that's like a dear loved one in your life. You've prayed they're healed. You pray for rescue, and you just haven't seen it happen. And so you're like, why should I even pray? And then that only feeds unbelief and doubt in your life. If you've lived in that place, or maybe in your heart of hearts, that's you this morning as you're hearing me talking all about prayer, let me encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Picture him hanging on the cross for you, crying out to the Father in prayer and having it be unanswered so your prayers could be answered. And because of that, we know that God will answer us when we call on him because of the silence Jesus experienced on the cross. No one can tell you fully and all the way why some of your prayers haven't been answered, and I'm not going to pretend to. But your unanswered prayers doesn't mean that God's not good. He's proven it for all time at the cross. Jesus was forsaken in our place so that we can draw near to God as Father. So God is a good Father, and He will answer our prayers in the way that we would have prayed them if we knew everything he does. That's kind of what it boils down to. Your life of prayer requires a life of faith, of leaning towards the cross, of hearing Jesus cry out on the cross so that your prayers can be answered. So second, Jesus is also the foundation for prayer because of what he's doing right now. What is the Lord Jesus Christ doing right now? For you, Christian, he's praying for you. This very second, King Jesus is praying for you. Romans 8.34 says Jesus is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us, thus saith the Lord. Or 1 John 2.1 says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. So the foundation for our prayer is that Jesus is praying for us. Like just bask in that. You got to do something with that. Jesus Christ is praying for you right now. There's never a time for you, Christian, that he is not praying for you. So I want to like challenge you this week. When was the last time you specifically meditated on that? Like meditated on your knees kind of way that Jesus Christ is praying for you right now in whatever you're going through. And again, I'm not saying that flippantly. In whatever you're going through, Jesus is praying for you. And when you start to focus on what Jesus did to be the foundation for prayer and that Jesus is praying for you right now, when like all the glory and grace of that is applied to your heart, do you know what happens? How God's created us. You actually start to be moved to pray. You want to grow in your prayer life? Don't look at yourself, look at Jesus. And you'll find yourself praying in the Spirit. You, you will start to find yourself praying at all times in the Spirit. You'll start to find yourself being alert and persevering in prayer because of the perfect perseverance 
of Jesus Christ. Prayer is not a good work we add on to the gospel. It flows from the glory and riches and goodness of the gospel. So do you hear in the the sound of my voice today, do you feel like the worries and anxieties in your life are suffocating your life spiritually? Maybe for you, do you feel too numb to even pray heartfelt prayers like this? Maybe you're struggling with being fearful and that short-circuiting your prayer life. If that's you, God calls you today to look to Jesus, the one who experienced God's silence so that you can know his presence. Look to Jesus, the one who is praying for you, Christian. And as you apply the gospel to your prayer life, let the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ break in and start to melt your lukewarm heart and address your fears. That's what praying like prayers indispensable is like. A guy by the name of Robert Murray McShane, some of you probably know who that is, he lived a life of devotion to Jesus, a short life. He was a pastor and he died at the age of 30. He actually preached to his church one Sunday. Two days later, he comes down with severe fever, and like two weeks later, he dies. He poured his life out in so many ways for the sake of Christ. And do you know what the key was in his life? It was the reality that Jesus Christ is the foundation for prayer. The reality that Jesus lives, is living to pray for us. And that fueled a life of purpose and prayer for McShane. He put it like this, just hear this quote and let it ring in your hearts. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Let me read it again. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Prayer is indispensable like that. Jesus is praying for us. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'd love to talk with you. Like, I'd be really curious to hear what you think about all of this as we're talking about prayer, right? I referred to the screw tape letters earlier, the book C.S. Lewis wrote, right? There's a part in that book again where screw tape, he's this senior demon guy, and he's like mentoring his protege and his nephew Wormwood, and screw tapes writing these letters to Wormwood on how to like deceive this guy from actually trusting in God. And I'm sharing this with you if you're here and you don't know Jesus. I'm going to ask you to consider what this book brings up. Screw tape is instructing Wormwood how to tempt this guy away from considering being a Christian. And screw tape says this: By all means, don't let this guy pray. And then he goes on to say, because if he does, whenever there is prayer, there is the danger of God's own immediate action. The senior demon is saying, don't let anyone pray. Because once they do, God's going to start doing something. And we don't want that to happen, do we? So if you're not a Christian here, I share that with you to encourage you and graciously challenge you to consider what you've heard and to start praying. Pray and ask God to show you how real he is. If you're being an honest person and you're really trying to consider the claims of Christ, don't you owe it to yourself to pray and ask God to show you if he's real or not? Have you taken that step in what you're trying to do, an honest investigation into the claims of Christianity. Or think about it like this. If you're not open to that, non-Christian, maybe it's because you know what Screwtape said is true, that whenever there is prayer, there is the danger of God's own immediate action. So you're avoiding praying and asking God to show you whether he's real or not. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you, pray and ask God to show you that he's real and see what happens. And I'd love to talk with you about that. 
anyone who's a member here at GBC would love to talk with you about that. All right, we're gonna like land the plane and make this practical. This is our second distinctive. Prayer is indispensable. So what does this mean for us, right? And it's not just like me saying it. It's Ephesians chapter six, verse 18. Prayer is indispensable. We've seen that Jesus is the foundation for prayer. And then I want us to see, okay, what does this look like in my life? What's this look like in the life of our church as we seek to be a church who's growing more and more into this? So the reality that prayer is absolutely necessary, it informs and shapes us as a church in a few different ways. And I'm just gonna say this so you kind of know some of the reasons of why we do what we do. What we've talked about today is the reason why we pray every Sunday. It's the reason why the service leader prays corporately to grow us and shape us in how to pray, right? I've already talked about some of the things that we include in our corporate prayer. There's a reason why we do that, why we pray for one another and other churches in our area and other Christians around the world. What you've heard today is the reason why you're going to hear it, whether you've been a member at GBC for years, you're you're a new member, or you're kind of wondering, hey, do I want to be a member of this church or not? If you're a member of Gresham Bible Church, the loving expectation is that you use the member directory as a prayer guide. And as you do that, know all the other members are doing that too. Like people are actually praying for you. Prayer really is indispensable. So we want to live into that in the life of our church. We also value prayer here at GBC by having a monthly prayer meeting. It's the first Saturday of every month from nine to 10 in the morning in our community room. I'd love to see you there. There's no pressure. Some months it might work, some months it doesn't. But how amazing would it be if our church values and prioritizes praying together in this kind of way? There's also a pre-service prayer meeting here at Dexter every week before we gather in the teacher's lounge before church over here, stage left. Thank you for those of you who gather and pray for us every Sunday morning. I would encourage you to consider that gather before we gather as a corporate church and pray for us. It's a one way we can value prayer. We are a church that prays because we depend on God. That's the reason what you've heard today is the reason why we have a yearly week of prayer and fasting together, where we fast from sunup to sundown to recognize and actually live into the reality that we are dependent on God and we need him more than food even. So what you've heard today, it informs so much of the rhythms and really the liturgies of what we do here at Gresham Bible Church. And this should also inform how we talk to one another. Like when you're hanging out with other GBCers, yes, have fun. I'm the first one to talk about sports. I get it. But also encourage one another with how God is being faithful in your life. Like how he's answering prayers in your life. Let that stir one another up to be growing into valuing prayer more and more. And one other specific way we value prayer at GBC is in the life of our community groups. One way we grow in community together is by praying together specifically praying together for the people in our lives that don't know Jesus yet. And we pray for them by name and we continue praying and we trust God to do his work and to draw more and more people to himself that don't know him yet in and around our city. So we value this. If you haven't been in a community group, we take breaks in the summer, they'll relaunch again in the fall, and we're gonna be leaning more and more into growing in community by praying together. I'd encourage you to join up to a community group and grow in valuing prayer in this kind of way. And last thing, right before we close, I wanna encourage you with a few ways maybe you can grow and being equipped in your prayer life. And I have four books to recommend to you. First, Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. We gave this away last year at our book giveaway on Reformation Sunday. We'll be giving away a bunch more copies this year. Get it, read it, talk with other GBCers about it. Awesome book. Next, A Praying Church by Paul Miller. What does it mean to value and grow into praying corporately in the life of the church? Great book, A Praying Church by Paul Miller. This book, Todd recently recommended it to me. I'm not all the way done with it, and I can still tell you it's awesome, and I bet you'll agree with me. D.A. Carson wrote, Praying with Paul. 
Read it. Talk with other GBCers about it. Let it fan the flames of you growing into prayer like this. And then lastly, Tim Keller wrote prayer, experiencing awe and intimacy with God. I cannot recommend this book highly enough to you. Towards the end of Keller's life, he was asked, if you could do anything different in your life and ministry, what would you do? And it took him like two seconds. And you know what he said? He said, I would have prayed more. So I'd commend those four books to you. You don't have to read all four. Maybe you want to. Let them help you grow in valuing prayer and actually seeing and living into the reality that prayer really is indispensable. All right. Prayer, I just want to close us with this. Highlight it. Prayer is not just preparation for true ministry. Prayer is true ministry, right? And the foundation for it is Jesus Christ, our Savior who is praying for us right now. I'm going to leave you with this thought. I'm going to pray for us. Prayer really is simple, and it really is mysterious. Prayer really is indispensable, and that reality is really only known by those who pray like it. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we praise you. We praise you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We praise you for your grace. Father, we confess and repent that we do not value prayer as we ought. Lord, we are far too easily distracted. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. I pray that you will grow each of us individually and us corporately as a church into a praying kind of people. And as that happens, Lord, may we glorify your name. May it do good in and through us. And may you accomplish your purposes and turn our hearts to our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.